Hello, this is Lucia speaking. Welcome to Race Reflections at Work, the podcast that focuses on inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. In this episode, we will discuss group work or community work, especially how it helps or might support people in developing their anti-racism or their anti-racist approach to work. We're going to focus on some of the advantages of working in groups and also the drawbacks and limitations of it. To send your queries, questions and dilemmas, please email at work at racereflections.co.uk. So first, perhaps it would be good to give a very brief definition of what I mean by group work. What I mean by that is any sort of activity, education, training, workshops, or even therapy or self-development that is given in a group, so not one-to-one, and also uses collaborative work between the group members or participants. For example, there's not just a presentation or a lecture, but it also uses discussion times, reflective times, moments where ideas and challenges can be bounced between group members in order to work together and make the experience a lot more richer for everyone involved. So that's what I mean by group work. Not only a tool for training, but it can be a very useful tool for self-development. So why group work specifically and not other types of development and training? Well, this reflection of mine about the benefits and the way group facilitates growth and learning started a while ago and also is a very big part of what I do here at Race Reflections. So through workshop spaces, group facilitation of group coaching, everything, all the trainings we do include reflective spaces for the group to think together and to participate and engage with the content. So that's why I'm doing this today. And throughout this work, I've also learned a lot about the specifics of these sort of environments and how they can help people develop their anti-racism approach. On a perhaps more personal note, my interest for this form of work, of self-development, grew because of my own profession. I'm, I'm a psychotherapist, and at this time I'm working individually. But as a therapist, I've also been a client for more than a decade, so I've gone through my own therapy. And throughout all those years, for me, the most powerful form of healing and personal growth I've ever experienced was in the few years that I undertook group therapy. Really, one-to-one did not compare with that experience. Perhaps this specific example is not directly related to anti-racism and anti-oppressive work, but I think one thing does relate to it is that provided a space to heal in the presence of others, to heal, to learn to show vulnerability in a way that feels safe, to learn to share the aspects of shame that need to be healed, and really 
that didn't only provide a space to heal my relationship to myself, but also to heal the relationship I had with others and with the world at large. It allowed me to feel connected to other people's humaneness, if we can say it like that, perhaps for the first time. And that, I think, was extremely important for growth and to find a, a place where I felt okay. So this is where, coming back to what our focus is on, so obviously anti-racism work, anti-oppressive work, where the main strength of the group lies, the similarities with what we experience in groups and community anti-oppressive work, is that it allows us to do this work while being human and vulnerable and connecting to the other humaneness, which is something that oppression, um, racism that we might have internalized in certain ways, actually make it difficult to do that. It's at its core dehumanizing, right? So group work allows us to learn a different way of being with other people, a different way of relating with other people. This is not to say, obviously, that our anti-racism work and our focus on racism needs to be only on the individualized and relational aspect of it. We obviously need to be thinking about all the different levels, the systemic aspect of it, the group organizational structural aspect of it. We can challenge the system and understand it, but we also need, I think, to understand and self-reflect on how we might participate in the system, we might enact and reproduce it ourselves in our daily lives, in our daily relationships, in our different circles. So I believe that definitely group work, community work can definitely help providing a space where we can be supported and we can learn a different way of being. Obviously, we need to remember that building community and building a group where everyone feels engage where everyone feels as safe as possible is a challenging endeavor. And by trying to speak about those challenges openly and overcome them together, there is going to be a lot of emotional labor involved and also a lot of growth potential in that specific moment. The other aspect of group work that I find quite helpful for this work, for anti-racism, is also the aspect that provides support. And in that, it kind of goes against and combats the pervasive feelings of isolation, perhaps even helplessness or hopelessness that come with taking anti-racism approaches in our lives. It can be very isolating in, in whichever circle or organization we are doing that. So, for anyone engaged in work that goes against the system or the grain in many organizations and its norms, feelings of isolation and feelings of hopelessness can lead to burnout, actually, and discouragement and demotivation, which is absolutely normal. So part of an effective self-care and well-being strategy when doing this work to make it sustainable is to actually engage in a community and a group with people who not only think and feel like us and want to also take action, they are also trying to bring about change 
So I think that's a core part of this work in the self-care and well-being side of things, which is obviously very important to make this sustainable. Obviously, it goes without saying, trying to build a community, trying to engage in a group. As I said previously, it has its challenges. It's not only rainbows and sunshine. There's a crucial aspect to the growth of a person that involves openness to being challenged, involves bearing with feelings of discomfort, distress and shame. Sometimes challenges might come directly, sometimes they might come indirectly and in front of the group. So it can be very difficult, but learning how to take this feedback, reflect on the impact we're having, it is a core skill, an element required in anti-racism and anti-oppressive work. In my opinion, one of the best ways of learning that, and one of the only effective ways of learning that, is to experience that in a group setting or in a community setting. Just as a side note on this, this might be why groups and communities are not always experienced as safe spaces, especially by people who hold significant privilege and might feel especially challenged. So it's good to keep that in mind. We are not supposed to feel at all times safe. We're supposed to feel challenged as well. It means we are being stretched and it means we have the possibility for learning and growth. So now let's talk about some of the limitations, perhaps, the drawbacks of working in groups in the context of anti-racism and anti-oppressive work specifically. And this is especially true in more diverse uh, mixed groups, which are good in many ways, but also we need to be very aware of these drawbacks. One of the main things I think in these groups to be aware of is the different underlying dynamics that can happen between people, especially between marginalized people and more privileged people in the group. So we're talking about the levels of expected responsibility in educating others, the levels of expected emotional labors to protect other people's feelings, uh, dynamics of entitlement and space taking, for example or people taking a lot of time to share their own experience, or being entitled to other people's knowledge or experiences as well, sharing their experiences. So we need to have a keen eye to watch these group dynamics or these group enactments. A group is also kind of a microcosm of society, and these things are bound to happen, are bound to repeat themselves. But in the act of challenging them, we can also find some source of growth and healing. So if we go with the experience, for example, of a, a mixed group, people are bound to come into the group with different levels of knowledge about the issues we are talking about, some different levels of self-reflection skill, and at different points in their anti-racism personal journey. So this might also mean that some people will be holding others' learnings and support them a bit more than they are supported. We need to also watch who tends to do that, because what usually occurs is that the more marginalized people in the space are the ones that are expected to take the brunt. And when I say are expected to do that, it's usually not an explicit thing that's said out loud, usually. 
it's more of an underlying unconscious dynamic that's happening, but it is happening nonetheless. So the more marginalized people will be expected to take the brunt of that emotional labor and that educating labor and will not find as much space for their own needs in the group. So these reproduce naturally dynamics of centering privilege in white people's feelings and experiences and their learning and development. So this is where a skilled facilitator can come in, someone that is knowledgeable enough to spot these dynamics and challenge them in order to restore some sort of balance, also to ensure some level of safety for everyone involved, and to challenge. And in that challenge, as I said, there's a lot of potential for growth. Otherwise, people of colour and other marginalised groups may be expected to do more, also to expose themselves by sharing things they might not want to share, and are subject to dynamics that may be re-traumatising in the process. Some solutions to this, these are not, you know, the final say in these matters, but some of the things we can try is perhaps challenging these, making these dynamics explicit as they are happening, so naming them, upholding boundaries. And this obviously, if there's a facilitator for the group, that responsibility would be with the facilitator, not with um, marginalized members of the group. So this is for the emotional well-being of people, especially people that are impacted by racism directly and oppression within the group. Uh, part of these boundaries I'm talking about could include, actually, the option to break out into affinity groups. We're talking, obviously, about, right now, anti-racist context. For example, when white people are trying to do the work, they are bound to feel all sorts of discomfort and distress, shame, guilt, etc. And they will need to work through those feelings. But at times, just making too much space for that in a mixed group can be oppressive for people who have been direct targets of racism. And they don't really need to carry or to hold that for white people. So this is just an example of a, a moment where breaking out into affinity groups can be useful and can protect people from being re-traumatized, from taking on emotional labor that they're not or they shouldn't be responsible for. So simply put, these are some of the drawbacks and limitations we can encounter in this type of work. Let's be honest and let's be aware that if we let these dynamics encroach in our groups, in our communities, then the settings quickly can become harmful again by enabling oppressive dynamics and thus become actually counterproductive to the work. So a lot of good things about group work, some limitations we need to be aware of and brave enough to challenge on the spot. I think in action, if taking these actions and precautions and doing things as well as we can, group work can also be very supportive and healing and a great source of learning and growth for all members of the group. So we have reflected a little bit today on the 
advantages and the limitations of doing anti-racism work and anti-oppressive work in groups and in community. I'd like to invite you to take these reflections with you and think about how they apply to perhaps the groups you're part of, your team, or examine perhaps what can be done to change things and make things a little bit safer for everyone involved, a little bit also more efficient for growth and potential for learning for everyone and support as well for marginalized people. If there are circles, environments or organizations you think setting up networks or groups can help with, just take this with you and see how it might or might not apply. I hope this episode has been useful and helpful for you in your reflections and that you will continue to think with us on topics of inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. Please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. This has been Lucia from Race Reflections. Goodbye and take good care of yourself. <laughs>